It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today on Off Tackle Empire, it is time to get mad online and be a really shitty person. That's right. It's Michigan, Michigan State Week. Today on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. You're listening to Off Tackle Empire, our Big Ten podcast here at SB Nation's home for all things big and ten. And also, all things big and nude. Um, well, some things big and nude. As long as they're on Saturday. We don't claim all things big and nude. That would require a little bit more active monitoring from a censorship perspective than we're willing to do. As we move into the latter half of the schedule here, most teams having played half their games already. Once again, I'm Illinois correspondent Steve Braun. I guess I'm source. I'm joined by Michigan State correspondent Andrew Kuszewski, as always. As we make our way through week nine. And of course, it is Big Nude Saturday, which of course means the pregame show is headed to Michigan for. Huh. Whoa, 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 what the hell? This must be some kind of mistake. <laughs> the Fox Noon game is Ohio State Penn State. Who gives a shit about that when the most important brand in the Solarverse is playing a game that day? This has to be some kind of mistake. Wait a minute. Are you talking about Purdue? They are on by. As is Wisconsin and Maryland and Indiana. I am indeed talking about Indiana, the Big Ten's primary football brand. No, for the first time in over a month, Michigan is not the big nude kickoff game. Instead, we get a mere game between the two best teams in the conference. I mean, I can't say that given Penn State lost to Michigan, but Ohio State, Penn State, This is basically an elimination game for the Nittany Lions in terms of their conference title or playoff hopes. And of course, even if they do lose this week, their schedule the back half of the the calendar is so easy that they're nearly assured to win 10 games and go to a New Year's Six Bowl anyway, but they will nonetheless be exiled to the Shadow Dimension by ESPN. I mean, seriously, last month of the game for Penn State goes at Indiana versus Maryland at Rutgers versus Michigan State. Not a whole lot. I mean, Maryland's the most difficult game in there by a pretty considerable margin. I don't think Penn State's especially worried about that. So you certainly hope that the Nittany Lions win this game if you're a Penn State fan. But if they don't, you're still going to end up... What are the playoff sites this week or this year? Do you know? You know, I've been wrong this whole time. The Rose Bowl is not one of them. Not this year, no. So it's... I think it's... All right. I got to look up because... I'm just trying to think of, like, what is the... I mean, honestly, if the Rose Bowl is not a semifinal, then Penn State, if they were to be left out of the playoff at 10-2, and would most likely go. Depends on the record of any other Big Ten team. Sure. That doesn't make the playoff, which Michigan and Ohio State seem pretty likely to do. If they get to the game undefeated, the loser goes for sure. The winner would then have to win what would be a walkover conference championship game. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, of course, you know, 
not to handicap the Big Ten West too much, but right now, it certainly looks like, what's the thing we always say? Anyone could win the Big Ten West. Especially As long Illinois. as they're Illinois. <laughs> as we have always said. That has been the slogan of the podcast for many years. All right, so before we get into the big picture stuff, let's not write this off too much. Although I will say, Ohio State being a 15.5 point favorite on the road against a top 15 opponent should tell you exactly how terrifying the Buckeyes are. Um, what is the recipe for Penn State to keep this game competitive into the fourth quarter, as they have generally been able to do? in the past against Ohio State? I mean, you just got to be able to be two-dimensional on offense because this Buckeye defense is substantially better than last year's unit. I know you can't really say anything about a performance against the Iowa offense, but it was probably the most thorough vivisection of the Hawkeye offense that we've seen this year amidst a smattering of very, very compelling offerings in yeah. the genre. And, you know, Sean Clifford quietly had an extremely good game last week. We we talked, for the most part, more about the Minnesota side, but even with Minnesota's defense missing a couple starters up front, it was still a, a pretty impressive performance from Clifford. You need him to be your super senior. It basically... I think, honestly, the, the most straightforward way for Penn State to win is for him to be better than C.J. Stroud. And if that sounds like an outrageous thing, just remember that we're not talking about who's looking like the the better pro prospect, who's got the bigger arm. Or even who has the better stats, because Lord knows Ohio State's loaded at receiver. Yeah, no, this is this is a matter of who manages his offense better, who can sustain drives and... Makes the reads better, really. Make the smart play, yeah, take off it. Because, I mean, Clifford is more of a runner than Stroud is. So, I mean, I, that's... By choice, not necessarily by athletic ability. I know Stroud can move when he wants to, but he just <coughs> generally doesn't want to. That was uncalled for. Ohio State fans entering the chat. So Millicent. This is not an Ohio State household. Absolutely not. She Come begs here. to differ. She begs to differ. You were chosen for your resemblance to an Illini away jersey, Millie. <laughs> so... Weather does not figure to be an issue as far as I can tell. Looks like clear skies, high 40s for the temps. You're not going to be dealing with a slop game. I think that would probably favor Penn State a little bit. But honestly, both of these teams are loaded for bear at the running back spots. I think I'd probably give a slight edge to Penn State's defense overall. But the Ohio State offense is the best unit in this game by a considerable margin, I think. I mean, the amazing thing is... Not likely to see Jackson Smith and Jigba the rest of the year. And Ohio State still probably has the best three receivers in the conference. Hmm. I'm going to cause an uncomfortable amount of dead air as I evaluate that. So those would be Harrison Jr., Agbuka, and Fleming. Who would I take above those guys? I mean, if you're talking about the season they're having, I like Charlie Jones. I get that he's not (gasps) the same. Millie, no. Why are you defending Ohio State? We're saying, like, we're trying to come up with reasons that somebody might have some sort of claim over them. We're not even saying that they're not the best. Mm, mm, not going to tolerate this disrespect for the Buckeyes. Millie, your mm. dog mother will be very, very unhappy to learn what oh, you've done. we're telling your mom. Um, so, anyway, overall, um, can I come up with, do you want just one or three more? Nah. 
I think Rock Jarrett's it's it's apples to apples. Like if you were to put him in this offense, he probably looks the same as those guys yeah, and that's vice versa. Fair. I would say that for Rock Jarrett. Um, evaluating, evaluating. Millie, yeah, come here. I can't do it based on his actual production or how the offense has worked, but I think Trey Palmer is the same class of athlete. Oh, you mean the nation's leading receiver? Or is, that wasn't that was true entering last week. Yeah. I don't know that I would take anybody else. I know Michigan's people like to crow about their receivers. They have a lot of guys who can catch four balls in a game. Has been kind of how their offense has been structured. So I don't know how much they could very well be better, but they haven't yet done the things that put together the body of work that would suggest that you could definitely say that with confidence. Yeah. No, I mean I think I'd be okay with that. But again, this is when every off season we gnash our teeth and rend our garments about the amount of talent that Ohio State is bringing in and put special emphasis on the receiver room, it's because we find ourselves in situations like this where it's like, oh man, look at this this train of, hundred, of you know blue-chip receivers going off over the horizon. And again, a dude who... A guy who's a yeah. projected top 15 pick in the NFL draft... Is not playing! And a, a dude who, who has the Rose Bowl record for receiving yards with like over 350 or something like that. I think it was 257. It was over 300. It was well over 300. All right, I don't give a shit. Um, And an offense that lost Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, the school receptions leader all time. Garrett Wilson did not miss an impact player for a winning Jets team. Think about that. Those are the players they lost. They don't miss them at all. They don't miss any of those guys at all. Um, It's just once in a while, you just have to pause and gate. Like, again, like it. You know what? This is like why we occasionally find ourselves so dumbfounded by this. Like, drop yourself in the Star Wars for a minute, universe for a minute, and like, imagine that you are in position to see the Death Star operate. Are you not just gonna stand there with your jaw agape? Like, there are awe-inspiring things that are not necessarily good, but you still can't help but be like, that is a hell of a thing. And that's what you have in this receiver group. So. The Penn State secondary is perhaps the best equipped in the conference to give them a challenge. Jair Brown, Joey Porter, big challenge to step up to guys who are also going to be. That is first, a good you know, secondary for Penn State. That's yeah. they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to win those battles. And they've got the pieces in the front seven to get to. I mean, look, remember last week we did see C.J. Stroud take a little bit of heat from a capable Iowa front. Penn State is he, a little bit better. got caught looking at the pass rush a few times. And I think made Penn's, a few bad reads. And I think Penn State's got a couple of individual pieces who were better. I he think was Iowa much better was, in the second half, but yeah, I mean they they were able to they were able to get him, you know, break his focus from the secondary. So Penn State has some guys, you know, Carter and Chop Robinson who I expect will be able to get some pressure on Stroud. What I think is going to be the interesting thing here, and possibly the game-deciding factor, is Ohio State's tandem of tailbacks is they've used them basically in an even time split when they've had them both. But they've also both missed some time. Do you have full strength from Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams? Because if you do, I think that's just too many threats. Because they're both extremely good receivers, too. They usually just flip them to them on swing passes and stuff. But if they have both of those running backs with this trio of receivers, I don't know how you stop Ohio State's offense. Well, Penn State has been reasonably stout against the run. So the question is, if Penn State does manage to slow down the Buckeye passing offense, 
Does Ryan Day decide to try and go after him with the run, or does he continue to um, try to impress poll voters with how genius his play calling is? I think it kind of depends on the scoreline, right? If it gets to... Yeah, I, I guess in a game... This was probably the game where they've been content to win ugly in the past, right? I will say, if one coach in this game is going to coach their way out of it, it's going to be James Franklin. Yeah, that is that is the thing that, even with an extremely good freshman class and a recruiting capability that's almost as good as Ohio State's, I will still believe it when I see it for Penn State in this matchup because I do think X's and O's, huge advantage to Ryan Day because he is a play caller and game day decision-making I mean, you'd, you'd have to... I'm sure Ohio State fans could tell you because any little microscopic bit of sand in their perfect contained biosphere they are aware of. But you... Again, like, the, the decisions Ryan Day has made that have actually cost them a game, can you come up with one? There, are, there aren't many opportunities. Basically, the knock on him as a coach is essentially that he does the same kind of things that Jeff Brom does as far as getting way too attached to, like, I need to run my passing offense... I don't care what's happening. Everybody needs to see what a smart boy I am. I think that's overblown a little bit in the main data. The main data point. Still very good. The main data point for that argument, I believe, is last year's Michigan game. Yes. But if you looked at how thoroughly Michigan's defensive line beat Ohio State's on that day, mostly because of Ojabo and Hutchinson, and you come away convinced that if Ohio State had just run the ball when they haven't done much of that this year, that it would have gone better. It's you can't prove a negative like that. It's a hypothetical, but I kind of don't think so. I think on that day, Michigan's defense was just keyed to the task and would have handled Ohio State on that day. So that's the only noon game in the conference, by the way. So there's really no excuse not to watch it unless you're going to be doing other stuff because you got a house you have to get ready. Or, um, you know, you're running a 5K at a local meadery for some reason. So moving into the afternoon slot, one game with a slightly earlier start. Perhaps the most compelling on paper, Rutgers, Minnesota, two teams, identical records, very similar outlooks, uh, very similar program ceilings. You know, a lot, you like a lot about the same trajectory. Obviously, Shiano oh, is Greg Shiano does have his very catchy slogans, and he's got everybody, all the locals, believing and buying into the culture, and they don't really care if other people think it's kind of cheesy <laughs> or if that gap in his teeth is really big. Uh, they don't really care about any of that stuff. She'll, she'll settle down. Um, the fact of the matter is, that's, that's just Rutger football. And that's just the way that it's going to be. And that's what they like. And they don't really care what you have to say about it. And, he, and Greg Schiano's not talking to you. Okay. So, in reality, this is a two-touchdown Minnesota betting line. Um, I believe, again, I don't think we've gotten... Com- confirmation on this because it's early in the week hard to imagine that tanner morgan is going to miss a second full week as a result of a concussion you would think he will probably be good to go and i would assume that their offense will be more or less its normal self mo ibrahim you certainly hope that even if not another week with the ones for eight eight k we're making that a thing we're making that eight k eight wait eight k so you get that 8K camera that Fox likes to brag about with their 720p, you know, signal. Ooh. We should really be getting in touch with these players and asking for a slice of the NIL opportunities that we're creating for them out of thin air. But yes, so even if Morgan is scratched another week... You would 
think the offense would run more smoothly with another week of practice reps for Ethan. Yeah, and the only possible counterbalance there is, well, you can say something similar for Rutgers as well, which found finally their personnel combination that got them some success last week against Indiana, leaning on Brown on the ground and going back to Vedral as their starting quarterback. Apparently, I wonder if that's informed in part by realizing, like, we have not won enough games to just be terrible forever and be throwing every player on the roster out there at the skill positions. Like, we have to grab a couple wins while we can to continue to show signs of progress here. Yeah, because, you know, there's a certain point at which you've got to get to a bowl game. You've got to get the bowl practices. You can't cycle through an entire recruiting class without getting the bowl practices. Yeah. It just doesn't, it's just not going to work. Uh, we have seen Minnesota defeated by a team that pounded the ball effectively. However, they had a Jersey quarterback. Effectively is also the key word there. <laughs> I mean, yes. Brown looked good last week, but it was still like 26 or 28 carries for a little over 100 yards. So we're not talking about seven yards a pop here. That being said, though, if I gave you an over-under on, say, 18 completed passes, what would you what would your inclination be? Total? <laughs> yeah, I'll say total. I was, you know, honestly, the more I thought about it, if it's going to be for the whole game, it should probably be like 22 or 23, but I'll I say total. I would definitely yeah. take under 22. <laughs> definitely take under 22. Uh, no question. I, mean, I, it, I suggest if you don't have any other rooting interest in the afternoon game, again, you're just you're gonna want to tune into this for just an epic, balanced battle between two programs, identical records and styles, indistinguishable from each other. If you were to remove the logos from the uniforms, very much looking at your, themselves in the mirror. Mini Utgers is here to stay. What else can you say? I mean, the fact of the matter is, Rutgers does have a pretty decent secondary. Yeah, uh, that's they... not gonna matter because Minnesota given their choice, would throw it about 15 times a game. But, but the idea is to punish them when they do throw. Um, they have a reasonably capable pass rush. I don't know if it's what you know Illinois showed against them uh, for sure, but um, yeah, because Minnesota was, was punished in a lot of their passing attempts against the Illini, and they did not have much success doing that against the Nittany Lions. I, I think Rutgers has a pass rush, and a pretty good secondary. I don't know if they've got the combination to quite, you know, just make P.J. Fleck decide, okay, maybe we should just throw it five times today. Well, again, I think if he was allowed to, that would be his preference anyway. But you brought up Illinois, so let's go ahead and cycle through to the next game in the afternoon slate. Two games coming, or two teams rather, coming off of a bye. Illinois going to Nebraska. If there is a non-Purdue team left on Illinois' schedule that has the personnel to take advantage of the relative weakness in the Illini defense, which is, you know, defending the pass, this would be it. Oh, 100%. It's, yeah, and the they've got DBs that have been really good. However, they've been greatly helped by the pass rush, forcing uh, quarterbacks to look at the pass rush and kind of make errant throws. Um Devin Witherspoon last week was leading the nation in pass breakups, but uh, Thompson presents a unique challenge as by far the most athletic quarterback that the Illini have faced. Uh, maybe baby Brennan Armstrong in his prime, but they didn't have an offensive line. Yeah. And I think 
I think that Illinois' pass rush is going to demolish this Nebraska offensive line, which has been better the last couple weeks, but not a very high bar to clear with how bad they were at the beginning of the year. And again, like every time I think about that, I just think about back to 15 to 20 pukes of practice. Like, you know. Yeah, and Nebraska has the just about the worst defense in the Big Ten. Um, Illinois is pretty healthy. Uh, at some point, we're expecting Josh McCray back. So the one thing I want to see out of their offense is be, beyond just continue to be effective is can they do better at – in the red zone than they've been because that's really been the biggest weakness of this Illinois team has been red zone offense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I completely agree with your assessment that Nebraska does pose a really unique challenge that I would not be shocked if they lost this game because they've got guys that can, you know, exploit just one, you know, missed assignment on defense. Nebraska can, has guys that can score in that situation. Yeah. I, 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 of course, like Illinois in this matchup, but, you know, I've been saying there's more evidence that Illinois can lose to a team like Indiana than that they can beat a team like Michigan because they've not played anybody of that caliber, but they did actually lose on the road to Indiana. They've, they've, they've abandoned the defensive tactics that they used in the fourth quarter. They've not been seen since. They've been, you know, there's no there's none of this soft coverage. There's, there's no, you know... Um, it, it's just they've been they've been full bore uh, in the fourth quarter on the on the pass rush. Uh, yeah, well, it's I mean honestly that strategy has never worked for any team. It, again, I know I complain a lot about the late D'Antonio era, but it looked very familiar to me because it's well, surely they won't be able to beat us ten yards at a time with four minutes. So I was like, what the hell do you mean? Any college quarterback can do that. So that they've yield stopped with that. Ought to be a good sign. I still think the most likely game flow in this game is simply that Illinois controls the game on the ground to such an extent that Nebraska has to throw to keep up, sets up Illinois' pass rush. I, I think it probably augurs pretty well for you. But we've talked enough about this game. We've talked enough about all these stupid other games. The we one have to... game that everybody really wants to see this week, the one game everybody's going to be talking about online, Let's go. you know there's going to be all these words. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings before, during, and after the game. There's a lot of pride at stake. Everybody's been looking forward to Let's it go. all offseason. It is the Iowa Hawkeyes hosting the Northwestern Wildcats. Let's go. All right. I'm so I'm we've got, it. what is our over-under right now? ESPN is reporting 37, which I don't believe is true. The first figure I saw was 31 and 31 and a half. And a half. <laughs> which, you know what? Honestly... You don't even need that revolting of a game to get to that. 17-14 would hit the under on that, which is an entirely possible, if not likely. I think the more likely... 17-14 in five overtimes, maybe. The more likely narrow under would be like (laughs) 16-15. How the hell? They can't do that in five overtimes. Never mind. Right. (laughs) Uh, Well, they could. They could could be at like 14-14 and just nobody scores. Ah, but then... You'd have to find you, a way. Well, to, yeah, you wouldn't be able to kick the. Field okay, well, you'd have to return it for a one point. You'd have to return the. You'd have to return the two point attempt for a one point touchdown. Or is that a one point touchdown? Or would that be two points? No, that'd be eighteen fourteen. Shit. Yeah. So if we were in that situation, that would break the thirty one and a half point over under. But I digress. 
there is one really good unit in this game. Two really good units, actually. The Iowa defense and the Iowa special teams. <laughs> and that's how you get to a double-digit Iowa line. They're actually favored by 11 in this game. I think that's saying more about Northwestern than it is about Iowa. got to remember, Northwestern was only a touchdown out against Maryland last week. Presumably, they will return to Brendan Sullivan as their quarterback this week. Probably still going to be a very heavy Evan Hull game plan. And again, even with his many receptions, he's not really running a whole lot of routes downfield. So you presume the Iowa defense is going to key in on him. Northwestern's defense is nowhere near as turnover forcing as Ohio State, for example. So the notion of Iowa giving them the same kind of favorable field position they gave the Buckeyes last week, very unlikely. I would probably think Northwestern, or Iowa rather, wins this game. Covering that spread, though, I don't know, man. I can't pick them to cover any spread of more than a single score at this point because asking for that much from their defense in terms of scoring production is a lot. These are the two longest tenured coaches in the Big Ten Conference. Patrick's... Is there anybody... Whittingham's been at Utah longer than Fitz has been at Northwestern, I believe. But other than that... Kirk I think Ferentz has been around as Brett Bielema has become a Big Ten head coach, left the Big Ten, and returned to the Big Ten after failing in the SEC. Well, and Ferentz was a head coach for several years before that, too. Yes. <laughs> uh, Actually, Pat Fitzgerald has been the head coach for that. Yeah. As well. I'm fairly sure these guys are one in three in terms of longevity. Whittingham is believe him. I believe he took over at Utah from For Urban Meyer in 2004. Did. Yeah, we talked about this last week. Uh, so, that being said, the point in mentioning that is these are two guys who have been at their programs forever, whose programs currently look to be hopelessly adrift, who are facing no apparent pressure from their administrations. We mentioned even if they wanted to buy out Ferentz, that's $42 million. Does anyone even know what Fitzgerald's contract is? I don't think his no, details are... Yeah, they're private, and so they don't have to. I, you know. Oh, I no. Suppose, well, what if he goes and interviews with the Green Bay Packers? Oh, again? what then? I suppose for a while, yeah. They were probably trying to keep it secret because they didn't want our schools to know how much they could get Fitzgerald for, which makes me think it might not be as much as you think. But in any case... Well, with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, I'm, I'm at a state. I'm at a point with the, the end of Aaron Gellion where I am. I I, I think it'd be really fucking funny now if if Pat Fitzgerald took over as the head coach there <laughs> and just just screaming matches every week. It'd be beautiful. Oh boy, they probably got a lot more in common than you would have thought a couple years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you're so. damn right. <laughs> anyway. I think I think Iowa wins. I think they win ugly. It's pro- watch this. Watch this will be like I was never gonna like put it away. How just, can Iowa win right. comfortably? Just watch this be a crisply executed thirty-one twenty-eight. <laughs> just like no, the most because... the most normal, just even across. Because again, like Northwestern's defense ain't exactly good. However, they c- Iowa will presumably play it safe, so they just key on the run. And the tight ends. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's... Northwestern's receivers have also been prone to fumbling this year. At least there's been a few high-profile incidents that I remember. So, I got a lot of signs pointing to Iowa in this one. I would not suggest betting this game at all because it's going to be... You're going to be staring into the abyss, and it's going to be staring back a little bit. All right. 
We'll talk about this because I guess we have to. The night game of the week, Michigan State at Michigan. I've been saying this for a while now since it became apparent how bad Michigan State's defense was after all the injuries. I will never say never in this matchup after what we saw in 2020, but there's not really anything on paper that makes you think Michigan State's in good position to pull another upset in this rivalry. Michigan's coming off of probably their best performance, definitely their best performance of the season, absolutely lambasting Penn State a couple weeks ago before their bye. Michigan, I believe, is also pretty close to full health. Michigan State's a question mark on that. They got a couple of their guys back on defense against Wisconsin, and the defense looked way better. But they still have a number of key contributors out. About the only other thing I can say that gives me some inclination, you know, maybe, is I don't think we have seen Michigan State's best game yet this year. It's hard to say what that would even look like because, again, their defense fell to pieces so early. But you can also reliably say across a couple of coaching staffs now that you are going to get this team's best effort in this game. I think the most likely result is still Michigan names their score. And, uh, yeah, I don't see what the way for victory is here because there really isn't a Kenneth Walker type. I mean, the one thing you could say is, even against Penn State because of the way the game flow went in that, Perhaps it remains a bit of an open question as to how good Michigan's pass defense really is, and I would stack Michigan State's receivers up against almost anybody. I say almost because we did talk about Ohio State earlier tonight. Um, so that's probably, I mean, it, the way that the way that this ends up going Michigan State's favor is probably both teams getting into the 30s. Um, I think if the, like the lower the scores are, the more likely it is that Michigan State's offense can't do anything and that the game gets away from them quickly. Um, but, I, yeah, I would expect Michigan to win. Um, let's take a look at a line. Wow. Michigan minus 22. I have to admit, that's a bit more than I would have guessed. Well, but I can't, I can't really say argue. that basically kind of taking history into account because if you, if you took the names off the uniforms, I mean, Michigan State's better than Indiana for sure, but, like, let's... How about Michigan versus Wisconsin? How would you handicap that right now? Yeah, probably 17 to 20. But that's also because I still perhaps give Wisconsin's defense a little more credit than they deserve. Well, you have said at, at, at various junctures that, like, to really feel like Michigan has improved to an extent that they're a threat in the playoff, you'd want to see a little more of the vertical passing game integrated. Mm-hmm. That may be something that you end up I don't know, man. I don't know. I still think, given his choice and given his ability to pick, I think Jim Harbaugh will choose to give Corum 30 carries and run a a hated opponent over every day of the week. Is it the kind of thing, though, where... Because, again, you've been saying that Michigan State's defense is kind of their best quality. Is it the kind of thing where Harbaugh would be acknowledging this and saying, we're going to beat you at the thing that you stop the best, and, like, fuck you and your children and your children's children, etc. I think that would be the thrust of the message, yeah. Uh, but it, when I say that it's what they're good at, it's what they're relatively good at. Like, they're certainly not as good against the run as they were even in the slump years under D'Antonio. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice 
the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But part of that has been their pass defense is so bad and this you know, scheme, I think, is just so poorly grasped by the players that I can't even necessarily say it's anything other than scheme related. So, I, again, I, I see no reason to think that Michigan State's going to be competitive in this game. I will probably be very mad about it the day of. I expect that Sunday I'll be over it. And there we have it. So, looking around the rest of the country... I confess there were not a whole lot of games that caught my attention on first glance. There are a few that you will want to consider. Oklahoma State at K-State, relevant for the Big 12 standings, probably the top-to-bottom most interesting and competitive conference in the country so far this year, at least at the FBS level. Um, Kentucky at Tennessee is probably your highest-quality SEC game of the week if that's your particular bag. A couple of... And and, the other thing is, in that matchup, you will also see a couple guys that will most likely be in strong consideration. I I would say Hendon Hooker's got to have played himself into NFL draft discussions, right? For sure. Having probably the most I'm not saying he's as good as Joe Burrow but like the guy who came sort of out of nowhere or Kenny Pickett is maybe a better comp where it's like he's been around for a while and he's all right and then a quantum leap forward so that could be a game you would keep an eye on if you're listening footprint perhaps you're a fan of such teams as the Lions or the Bears and you are always thinking about the next quarterback I'm sorry I don't know why you live the way you do in terms of potential sickos game of the week, though, Iowa Northwestern actually has a very serious contender here. Now, we have Arizona State at Colorado. And if those two schools are ringing a bell in your mind, it would probably be because both of those schools have fired their coaches, which means that we have a zombie football game on Halloween weekend. Spooky. It's gonna be awful football. So... That could be of some interest in the sense that, like, if you come across a car accident, you see everybody is injured, so it's like, I don't have to worry about that. But, like, one car is upside down in a tree, and it's like, huh. Well, I gotta try to figure out how this happened. I, I think I sent you this uh, 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 earlier this year, back in the summer, uh, a, a picture of on one of the 275 uh, bridges where there was just a Jeep Grand Cherokee wedged vertically in there. <laughs> yes. And it's like, yes. how in the hell did this happen? <laughs> I Nothing will ever surprise me on the freeways around here, though, i got to be honest with you. Um, last game that I had sort of put a pin in, 
the TCU Hypnotoads going to West Virginia. Neil Brown may be a dark horse candidate to be the next coach fired. Uh, the West Virginia folk I am in touch with seem to think that it just isn't going to work. Like, they're, it's not exactly clear why, because the recruiting is okay, like, for West Virginia. It's never going to be good because they have no population base. Um, but it's just, like, it's not working, and... It's, which is weird, because, like, every time I watch them, like, they have a lot of guys who are fun to watch. I like a couple other running backs. Ford Wheaton's a, a kick-ass receiver who's, again, another guy to maybe keep, like, jot in the back of your mind if you're thinking, like, who's that sleeper receiver in, like, the 2025 fantasy drafts I can grab in the sixth round and maybe win my league with? Yeah, I thought, I thought this keeping. about Cooper Cup in 2019. And last year, I was as right as I've ever been about anything in fantasy. So, a broken clock's right twice a day, folks. Find this acorn with your, with your blind squirrel host. Well, the other games that I saw were... But. I always have to point out every time Baylor plays Texas Tech, because it's but, and it's very funny. Are they at Texas Tech? Is it but, or is it... Yeah, it's but. Okay. It's but. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. Uh, the cheapest ticket of the week is UAB at Florida Atlantic, which is also rivaled by Old Dominion at Georgia State. Those are 3 and $4. Who's Florida Atlantic's coach now? Goodness gracious. I have no idea. What I do know is that... You keep going. I'll look it up. I'm curious. Is that... Because we're, we're sort of short in this episode, there was a story I got into a few weeks ago that really fascinated me. Willie Taggart. <laughs> Willie Taggart. That's what happened. Goodness to him. gracious. Good for him. So you know how the history of pro football in the early days is very weird. Yeah. And uh, you know it took a while before it really surpassed college football. Well, there was, for a long time, a college football versus NFL All Star game, which was. A tradition that happened, uh, it was a preseason thing. Um, and in at least its last iteration, it was, you know, the college football all-stars from last year versus the defending NFL champion. Right? So so if we're talking, it, it's, it's, it's the 2022 season. If this were to happen, it would have been at the end of August, you know, week zero or whatever. Um, and it would have involved all of the college all-stars from 2021 against the 2021 Super Bowl, the, the Rams. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. okay. So this started in 1934, and it was, uh, the, yeah, the Chicago Charities College All-Star Game. So this was a game that usually had more than 70,000 fans for a lot of its, uh, its history. Like now, the Pro Bowl today, is what you're saying. Well, of course, yes. Um, of course... You know, there were over 110,000 fans at Army-Navy back in 1926, so this was, you know, it was a, a huge deal. So an actual army would turn up to watch Army. <laughs> Precisely. So, um, you know, of course, Gerald Ford played on the 1935 All-Stars roster, um, and uh, actually UCLA's Jackie Robinson played in uh, 1941 in this game, but one of the interesting things that would happen in early editions of this game was pro football was still segregated and college football was not. 
So, <laughs> so as a result, you'd have like Kenny Washington, the groundbreaking UCLA running back, who nevertheless toiled away in you know segregated pro leagues before finally getting a, a shot, uh, was an absolute superstar in this game. And you'd have the college all-stars win these games sometimes because they could use black players. Um, the last all-star win came in 1963 when Otto Graham defeated the Vince Lombardi Packers 20-17. to <laughs> <laughs> That's some unbelievable shit. But uh, let's see. From the 60s, of course, you know how pro football evolved. So imagine this happening today, though. Because by this time, by the time this game gets played, all of the college all-stars, or most of them, are signed to teams, to NFL teams. Yeah. So, the final college all-star game was in 1976. It featured the Pittsburgh Steelers (laughs) against the college (laughs) all-stars. Again, a lot of... A lot of players that had uh, that had been drafted. There's there's some video footage online of the end of this game. It would have been really cool if, if it had persisted long enough to get you know sort of modern standards of broadcasting. But uh, yeah, as, as you watch this again, by this point in the game, it's twenty four to nothing Steelers. They've got their backups in again. They Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris started this game, <laughs> <laughs> right? And this was a time when when they were starting to. To really, you know, the salaries were starting to pick up. But again, this remained a very popular event. I believe admission may have been free. It was kind of for charity. Um, Now, bear in mind, this is in Chicago in August. Now, the thing is, Eric Parsegian is the coach of the College All-Stars. And they are still playing. Have you ever seen football played in these conditions? Like that. In, Notre, in person. Was that Notre Dame, was it NC State or Miami? The NC State, game. yes. Yeah. That's the only thing that's come close, but this is now escalating. <laughs> you, can bear, you can't see the yard line markers anymore. No. <laughs> I, I will definitely include this video in the article because this, this story fascinated me, the whole history of this game. And, and you'll understand kind of why this was the last one because now, now it's just sheets of rain moving across the field. They're continuing to play, again... This is an exhibition game. (laughs) The booth, Rain is coming into the booth. They've got fantastic 70s suits on. Sure do. Um, But now the next thing that happens, as people just stand around on the field not sure what to do, now it's beyond anything you've ever actually seen. There's also lightning striking around. Now the crowd is rushing the field. (laughs) They are all very drunk, and there are hundreds of them pouring onto the field. My point is... This is something that you absolutely need to see. I'm just very fascinated by this story. <laughs> yeah. What? They're just running around. Like, people are just <laughs> running. Into, it's like, it looks like a flash mob during... It's <gasps> like Hurricane Rain. You get it. <gasps> so anyway, uh, after this, they decided to cancel the college all-star game. Uh, there were already mounting concerns <gasps> about its viability due to the fact that, again... The economics of the NFL meant that you're, yeah, for this preseason exhibition, uh, players that have been invested, a lot of money invested in them. Again, you literally had the defending Super Bowl champs having their starting roster against a bunch of guys that the NFL had drafted. There was a lot of nostalgia keeping the tradition alive. This was enough to kill it. 
the way that... And this will also be enough to kill our Week 9 preview. We will see you next week. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!